Welcome to Destination Linux, episode 106. This podcast is made up by four of the greatest minds ever to discuss their passion for Linux. My name is Noah, and joining with me today are two of my good friends. Michael, how are we doing? Pretty good. And Ryan? I'm awesome. So, Michael, what have you screwed up this week? <laughs> well, uh, I actually got my show out on time for This Week in Linux. I was, on, <laughs> I was alive on the stream on time. Uh, and then I was on time for this show recording, and then a bunch of other stuff happened, and I had to fix a lot of stuff, and we were late an hour. Disk space? No, disk space was good, actually. Oh, oh yeah. so the audio didn't record. Well, it was just, it was just, OBS was doing some funky stuff. I had to figure out what it was doing so I could get my CPU back under control. And for now, it's under control. All right. Sounds good. Ryan, how about you? So I've been working on the Linux Essentials training I was talking about, and kind of cool thing happened. We were talking about a little bit in the pre-show, but I was doing a extreme distro hop to help one of the folks out in my Telegram group with a issue with Arch and Wi-Fi. So I thought I'll just go install Arch real quick and uh, be able to help them out. That didn't quite work out, but I think I'm going to use your suggestion there on how to fix what I'm what it may not be working with this particular laptop. But was, what was interesting is I got through the whole install, and as I was putting in each of these commands, they all made sense to me. So before, I was kind of putting in the commands, looking at what the text above said that the command did, but not really understanding the paths and things in the Linux file system and what this was actually impacting as I was doing that. And mm -hmm. after taking this essential training or going through about 80% of it, that kind of clicked, and I thought that was really cool to start because we like, talked about last time filling in those pieces of missing knowledge. Yeah, you went from monkey see, monkey do to being the 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 Linux samurai and actually uh, studying the ninja ways. I love how you put that. Absolutely. Well, that's. I mean, I've I've said it. You know, that's what separates the children from the adults, right? Is when you execute that code, if it looks like a magical incantation to you. That's where you know you've got some learning to do. When everything that you're executing, you know what that command is going to do before you execute it, that's when you know that you've, you've reached a level where you can begin to start to troubleshoot the process. Yeah. So I think that's really important. And I think, it's, I, think it's a, I think it's good to emphasize and take a moment to stop and just say, hey, that's something that we should always be doing. We shouldn't just randomly execute code because a lot of us are guilty of that. Follow the yep. how-to guide, copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. Look, it works. Who cares? Um, yep taking yeah. some time to actually understand what's going on behind the machine. That's why we got into Linux to begin with, right? Yeah, that's yep. a good point. It's, also, it's very helpful to know to know what you're doing and it, because especially if it's something that ha happens once you do it, you can fix it because you know what you applied. Uh, yep. But it also makes me want to create a project called Magical Incantation. I just don't know what it's going to be for. <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh, Noah, I took your advice this week because one of the big parts of the course is learning Vim. And we talked about, you said, hey, listen, you know, say the commands out loud and, you know, what you're going to do as you're typing the command, what it's supposed to execute, and that will help get it in your head. And that was very good advice because it worked very well. And in fact, I did an entire show, a new show this week on my channel. And instead of using, you know, a simple text editor or whatnot, I want to really learn Vim. I want to get it in my brain. So I use Vim to write the entire show notes and all of that stuff. And really? it's just become easier and easier and easier the more that I use it. But as I'm typing out the commands to do something, like delete a line or, you know, save a file, I'm saying it out loud. And that actually is really good advice. So if anybody else, because there was a lot of interest in the training stuff we talked about a couple episodes ago. So if anybody else is doing that now, definitely take that advice and do that. So appreciate that advice. Awesome. And last 
want to talk about Zeb's GoFundMe page out there. So we were all on Biddle last night, uh, Rocco's Big Daddy Linux, and we talked about this. And he got a bunch of people to go donate to help bring Zeb to America, which was super nice. We really appreciate him giving a shout out there for Zeb. And we just want to remind everybody that that's still out there ongoing. We've seen a huge ton of support out there for Zeb and getting him to the United States. But those tickets cost a lot of money. So we appreciate everybody going out there and donating to that. And unfortunately, Zeb couldn't be here with us today because of personal matters that came up. Um, But I know he was overwhelmed uh, when he talked about it, seeing how many people actually care and want to see him uh, come here for Southeast Linux Fest. So I just wanted to pass that along. How how can people donate, Ryan, if they want to get involved? Where can they go? Yep, they can go to the GoFundMe uh, and it's Bring Zeb to America Southeast Linux Fest. And it's gotten enough attention that you could literally just type into DuckDuckGo, Bring Zeb to America Southeast Linux Fest, and it's the first result that we, we shows up. We don't need to do that because I made an, an easier way to remember destinationlinux.org slash Zeb to self. My okay, man. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely simple. fantastic. Well, we want you, we want to get your feedback. We'd love to know what you think. You can send your comments to comments at destinationlinux.org. There we'll read them. And if you keep it concise and to the point and make a well laid out argument, make fun of Michael and praise Ryan and I, it will make it onto the air. Uh, Who writes in this week? Well, Alan writes in and he says, destination Linux team. First, I want to say I've become a regular listener of your show. Thank you so much for that. I found your show while searching for Linux podcasts on my podcasting application, and what a breath of relief this show has been. While most shows focus on just the news, you guys focus on a little less news while having some great discussions about everything Linux-related. I'm a recent convert to Linux, and I have to say I fully blame Ryan, Das Geek, for turning me on to XFCE. I have tried Linux too many times in the past, but could not get along with any desktop environment too well. Things either ran too slowly or looked hideous. XFCE on Manjaro is quite a different story. Also, it's great to hear from Noah on this show. Before I heard your introduction on episode 104, I was convinced that no one in North Dakota uses Linux. But thanks to (laughs) Noah, I'm finding out this is far from the case. I wanted to ask Noah if he knows of any Linux user groups in North Dakota or any similar groups of users, because I always enjoy meeting people with similar interests to share knowledge with and learn from. Uh, my question this week is over FOSS password managers. I have three devices and I cannot afford a proper password manager subscription. Plus, if I can do it myself, I should. I have my main box, which runs XFC Manjaro, my Android phone, and my MacBook, which will soon run Linux solely. Yeah. I want a password manager that syncs up to all three. That either I self-host or host with a droplet from DigitalOcean if 100% necessary. If I can host it myself, I would host it on my desktop PC. Since that is always on and always connected with the recent data breaches and password leaks, it's getting more and more scary to not run with one. And I don't trust my data to anyone but myself. Thanks for all you do. You make long drives a lot more entertaining. Thanks, Alan. Awesome email. Fantastic. I just want to address uh, the North Dakota bit in there. Um, so I don't know. It's It kind of sounds the way that he's phrasing that, like he may be in North Dakota and wants to connect with some people up there. First and foremost, anybody, uh, and that doesn't just apply to people that are in North Dakota, anybody anywhere always has a welcome invitation into Grand Forks, North Dakota. If you do, uh, give us a call. Let the let the girls front desk girls know at Alta Speed Technology. Say, hey, I'm a Linux geek. I, I'm, uh, you know, I enjoy the show. Uh, I'd like to meet up and they'll make uh, they'll 
make the necessary arrangements to get us out for dinner and uh, and we'll gladly take you out and we'll have a good time. Um, as far as Linux users in North Dakota, there are quite a few of them. Um, and I, I find more and more as, as I kind of look around, as far as an actual Linux group, there's one that meets out of Fargo. There's also a couple of uh, individuals that are looking to create one in Grand Forks. And so we're in the early, early talks about that. So something may pop up and, if it does, we'll make sure to break that on Destination Linux. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. And Michael, with the password manager, I thought of Bitwarden here because you. I, I recently switched all my LastPass stuff I had. I was using kind of both, all to Bitwarden. I like Bitwarden nice. a lot. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. I paid for it, though, so I didn't know what features would come with the free version. But I'm pretty sure you can self-host it on a DigitalOcean droplet or something like that for yep. free because it's out there right the self-hosted version okay the, the free version and the paid version first the paid version is ten dollars a year and that's it uh and so that's a completely reasonable price and it the, the, it gives you like two-factor authentication and some other stuff for the, the premium stuff but the majority of what you'd want is available like uh with these other services they'll lock it down so you can only use the desktop version or something like that bitwarden allows you to use the free version Pretty much open ended unless you want to have certain like authentication extra tools, or if you want to use your YubiKey associated to it. Uh, you know, there's specific things that they provide for the premiums. But with a self hosted version, so far that I've checked, they allow everything to be done in the self hosted version because it is open source, both the server and the client, and all the clients are open source. You can have um, it have they have everything hosted on your own side. And two-factor authentication so far works. I, haven't, I don't have a YubiKey to test it, but I assume it would work too. Uh, so the Bitwarden is my suggestion. There's some other options, but I think Bitwarden is probably the go-to because it allows you to, if you don't want to self-host, you can. If you want to get started with Bitwarden, for, uh, the this hosted version, you can then transfer it to a self-hosted version as well. Um, there's so many different options, and Bitwarden has recently been audited. Uh, they they paid for their own audit from a third-party thing, so they paid a third-party company to audit their code to make sure that it's secure. And there were a few uh, things here and there that was uh, like kind of improperly structured, but overall that they didn't they didn't have any like catastrophic bugs or any big bugs. They just found some a few things. They have fixed all of them, and they are still working on improving you know performance and everything. Um, so I think Bitwarden is a great option. Uh, as far as DigitalOcean, as far as using a droplet, for example, or using your own uh, your own computer at the house, uh, getting your own you, you shouldn't put your own computer at the house unless you're good with networking. You're, you're familiar with that because you're opening your own network to the public internet. If you want to do it anywhere on your phone, out when you're out and about or whatever, that's probably not the best option to do it. And it's a it's safer way to do is just to like set up a hardened droplet, put up a, the Docker image of. Bitwarden onto that droplet, and then it's it's fairly easy setup, and you don't have to worry about you opening your network to the public. So that's good advice. Yeah, that's what I would do, and I think that that's probably that that's the best option. And I think Bitwarden is a fantastic option for anybody who wants to self-host. I actually got a um, really pretty nasty piece of feedback in in my show about Bitwarden. I'd recommended it to uh, to a couple people, and the feedback was something along the lines of how they are ripping people off by charging the exuberantly expensive ten dollars per year like, you know. <laughs> well, i mean come on a dollar 20 a month wow seriously oh my so, uh, so okay there's that so here's here's the here's where i take issue with that though because i mean fine i mean it, it's all subjective right maybe a dollar 20 a month is a lot to you i don't know but 
Bitwarden has to pay for the infrastructure to host that instance that you're using on, right? Mm -hmm. So to a certain degree, they have to pay for that. So they're passing that cost off onto you. It's a share cost. If you hosted it yourself, it would cost you at minimum. The cheapest way I can see to do that would be like $3 a month. And that would be using some sort of Canadian subsidized thing like OVH. So I don't, it just, it, it seems, it just seems like kind of ridiculous to me. Um, but if, if Bitwarden wasn't an option, you wanted to self-host, the other recommendation I would have is check out MultiPass. MultiPass is a hardware-based password manager, and you can store the passwords inside of a physical device and back it up with an encryption key, physical encryption key. And then you can spit those passwords back out. One of the nice things that MultiPass does that some of the other software-based ones don't do is it can do keyboard emulation. So the advantage to that is if you were using DigitalOcean, for example, and let's say you had a droplet and you wanted to console in to reset a password or do something like that, you'd be able to actually execute passwords even through their little Java console because it's using keyboard-based emulation, whereas if you were, had to rely on a plugin, that wouldn't work. So that might be something you'd check out. By the way, mm -hmm. if you're looking for a platform to host your password manager on, we would suggest you do it on DigitalOcean. Why? Because Destination Linux uh, today is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now, DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It is completely optimized for managing and scaling apps. They have an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, all of that. And you get access to their world-class customer support for as little as $5 per month. Or you can use their flexible pricing structure and get it down to $0.07 cents per hour. As Ryan would say, that's darn near free. DigitalOcean has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up, up to date with the latest in open-source software languages and frameworks, which means that if you're playing with something on your computer and spinning it up inside of VirtualBox or LibVirtD and you get that sucker tuned just right using the free tutorials that you can get on DigitalOcean, then you can move those uh, instances up to a world-class VPS provider for just five bucks a month, but it gets even better because you're not going to have to pay that $5 per month. They're going to give you a $100 credit just by going to do.co slash DL. That's do.co slash DL. They'll give you $100 credits. You can try one of their beefy huge machines, or you can run one of their, a bunch of little smaller ones for doing a bunch of odd, odd jobs. So do.co slash DL and a huge thanks for DigitalOcean sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Yeah. So this week in Distro News, we are uh, we're looking at Parrot 4.5. Now, everybody, uh, when they think of penetration testing, everybody has, uh, they go to Kali Linux. And you go to any penetration conference or uh, security conference, they talk about Kali Linux, and a bunch of people are running them. Now, last week, we had Bo Weaver on, and obviously, he was a user of Kali Linux. A lot of people don't know that there are alternatives to Kali Linux. There are other alternatives to having a distro specifically designed for security and penetration testing. Now, Parrot is one of them, and Parrot 4.5 was released. Parrot 4.5 is a penetration and digital forensics distribution. It's a Debian-based distribution, Mate, KDE, and uh, they have uh, Linux kernel 4.19, Metasploit 5.0, with new invasion modules, and uh, shellcode in C. Now, if you're not familiar with Metasploit, it's kind of the... If there was one tool that these penetration distros are based around, it would probably be Metasploit. And essentially what Metasploit is, is an application that goes out and references a database of known security holes in any given particular piece of software. So you take your security distro like Parrot, 
and you point it at a target machine and it goes through and says, oh, here's what I can tell based on what ports are open, what the IP address is, you know, all of this stuff, what it can tell about the machine. And it says, I think it's running Windows because it has, you know, a Windows web server running, for example. And uh, based on this, that, and the other, I can tell that it's probably Windows 7. And this is, this is the service pack that's installed. Here are all the known exploits that you could execute. And, uh, and so that's what Metasploit does. Of course, they have a number of different meta packages for developers um, and, uh, and a lot of patches and bug fixes and, and, and so much more. So definitely something you'd want to check out if you're interested in getting into security and penetration testing. And who wouldn't be, even if only to play with your own machines or to check to make sure that you're secure on the internet. The only downside is if you got a 32-bit machine, you're going to be upgrading this week because they don't support 32-bit architectures. But absolutely fantastic piece of software. I had a chance to download it and play with it a little bit this morning. Um, and uh, definitely one of those things I'm going to add to the toolbox. And uh, hopefully we get some competition going in the security and penetration distro world. Yeah, what's interesting about Parrot to me too is it's really beautiful when you boot into it. Like they, I, yeah. I love their wallpaper and just the setup that they have. I mean, it's a great desktop. And Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but unlike Kali, you can really use this as a desktop, a main desktop uh, setup, right? Yes and no, you can, but they, they have two different versions. They have the home edition and they have the penetration edition. And the okay. home edition is the one they, they're, it's, it's basically like having a set where they, you can do daily driver with a home edition. And then you have the, the work tools on the penetration testing because they, you still need to have the setup of root and all that other stuff by default with the penetration. So in, in order to avoid people using their penetration version as a daily driver that you know because it's very common for people wanting to do that for some reason because i mean the people who are doing it as a job like bo does it makes sense that he would do it because he's using it every day but there's there's a lot of people who are getting into using trying to figure out to learn those types of tools they should not be using it as a daily driver and all of these different distros will specifically say don't do that but then there's still a ton of people who do because they think it's more secure for some reason to be doing using tools that are to break security. It's like, no, that's not how it works. But they did make a home edition, which is just as nice. And it's actually, a, it's a quite, uh, it's very polished. I think it's, I think it's quite good. So if you wanted to use Parrot as a daily driver, there is a version for you for that. Well, think about it this way, Michael, if you were a hacker and you log in and you see a Windows machine as you're hacking in, you know, on the other side, what you're hacking into, you're like, okay, I got this. But if you start your hack and then all of a sudden you see a Kali Linux machine is the one that you just intruded into, like, <laughs> uh-oh, this person might know what they're doing. So maybe that's the extra security. No, I'm teasing. Probably Don't not. suggest you do that. No, yeah. there we go. Uh, yes, you're, on, you're <laughs> using root. I got you. <laughs> that is probably what they would do. By the way, we've gotten lots of great feedback on that Bo episode. So I want to... Give a shout out to Bo Weaver again for coming on. A lot of people love that episode and gave us a lot of great comments uh, and emails regarding that. So that was awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, and also we have an update from Plasma Team. They've released the 5.15 beta and you can check it out on their their website with the 5.14.90 uh, blog post. But this one is really good because uh, it's mostly enhancements and tweaks and polishes that are to the existing versions. They kind of did the same thing for 5.14. So like the previous versions, there was a huge push of like these big new features. And um, sometimes these big new features had some issues. 
and they didn't have time to fix them all. Uh, this was like the 514 and 515 were both to polish the existing tools rather than making brand new ones. And, and that, that's a great, uh, you know, it's always great to see that when they improve what is existing already. Uh, but the, from the blog post, they say, this is the first release using the, using a usability and productivity goals, the team set. As such, we teamed up with the VDG or the Visual Design Group and they, to get feedback on all the paper cuts in our software that make your life less smooth and fix them to ensure an intuitive and consistent workflow for your daily use. So their entire goal is to polish up all the paper cuts. I mean, there's still a few left, but overall, they've, <laughs> they've fixed a lot because, uh, you know, double click and single click. Uh, so overall, I think this is great, and there's a, I'm, I'm happy to see, like, this is kind of just a ridiculous thing, but I really like the fact that the Firefox um, dialogue is now built into, like, using the KDE dialogue rather than the GTK dialogue. So I know that's not that much of a, a big deal, and I've been using the regular one, the GTK built into the to Firefox for years now. But it's nice to not have to do that because having different structures means that your your favorites on the top up dialogue is, is going to be different depending on which which application you're using. So it's nice to have it all interconnected that way. Uh, so all the integration stuff they're doing is really nice to see. Yeah. I... This really struck me because I did a video that was requested by the community for what my favorite desktop environment in distro was in 2018. Uh, you could go check out. And one of the things I talk about there is KDE. Now, a lot of people say, talk about the fanboy thing jokingly, but uh, I'm a fanboy naturally of XFCE. But you cannot deny what KDE has done in the last year. And what I loved seeing here as somebody who, you know, manages a business is seeing a plan that they put together at the beginning of the year, right? This usability and productivity goal and making things, taking the tools that exist within this desktop environment and smoothing it out and adding a lot more sense to what uh, the desktop environment has been before and seeing it come to fruition, meaning they made a plan, they executed on it. And that gives me a lot of faith in this project, even more faith than I had before. KDE, in my opinion, has come so far along, even in the last three years that I've been in Linux, uh, to see it actually smooth out all of the bugs that were there when I had tried it in the past. And when I look at this stuff, that's what I see ultimately is they put a plan together, they executed on it, and we could go through this whole list of all these things that they're smoothing out in this beta, but you can just feel it when you use KDE today, the difference at least for me, than it was three years ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. For like the previous, like if you started using uh, Plasma like just a couple of years ago, uh, definitely three or four years ago, it was um, not the best experience because that was the first version, the first couple versions of the Plasma five iterations. And every six months, they are you know or so, they make like massive jumps in development as far as like polish, as far as great features. So like it's it's great to see that they're doing this the, the polished approach because um, there's there's a lot of great stuff that they have but some of the stuff was kind of clunky in the way that you work they worked. I mean, Discover Discover yeah. was a pile of human garbage when I first got <laughs> into it. Now you go into Discover, it works. It gives you the statuses. I'm not saying it's perfect, but look at where it came from. And I'm not even trying to be mean, but honestly, it was unusable before. And now it's it's a whole different experience. If I'm yeah. feeling lazy, I can go into Discover. 
it finds the programs, it installs them. I don't have silly issues and fragmentation and searching for the wrong program and Random all the stuff that was happening before. They, yeah, exactly. They come a long way. There's still some there's yes. still some room to go. Like, yeah. you know, finding applications that are installed to uninstall them. That'd be a nice feature to get to at some point. Yeah. They they're re they're rebuilding the way the sources are laid out and all kinds of ways for like to making it easier to use discover and they've also added or they're they're adding uh, snaps and flat packs into the binary formats that they allow you to use through discover which is very cool and the, there's a lot of stuff that discover is adding and it's polishing up to make it improved and i would have to agree that 5.10 5.9 that that era of discover was not really usable uh, but since like 5.12 and every version afterwards it's just been better and better and I, I don't have to worry about when I load up Discover anymore, is it going to break stuff? Because uh, yes. in the back in the day, it totally would. Uh, so that's really nice to see as far as like, you know, the, the polish. It, Discover is a great example of the polish that is constantly being done for the Plasma team. Yep. So another interesting project that popped up in the news is Multipass is now out of private beta. So those who are forced... To use a Windows environment at work, we'll be happy to hear that MultiPass is now available. Uh, there are other options out there, of course, like WSL, but those come with certain limitations because technically they it's really a compatibility layer for some of those and they lack a Linux kernel. Uh, but MultiPass, on the other hand, is a service to manage Linux virtual machines within Windows 10. Provides a command line interface and it takes just seconds to download or even refresh an image on here so that if you're a developer and you want to get it up and running, you can start firing off commands and scripts almost immediately. Now, naturally, this tool is aimed towards the corporate environments and developer community uh, that want that full kernel power of the command line uh, available to them. But I thought it was really cool to see Canonical releasing this additional tool out there. Um, and Michael, do you know any more about this uh, than I mentioned there? Uh, yeah, the, the the it's I don't know I'm not sure if you did mention it was going to be there's a full kernel full kernel available inside mm -hmm. of the these uh, VMs when you use the multipass, um, so it's really cool that they're doing this and this is like they the first public it's still a public beta, so uh, you know just keep that in mind uh, it's still beta although it is um, you know it's it's available to use right now through like to bypass the the issues of the WSL but at the same time still if you want to use windows and have the modularity of linux on top of it uh i don't know again i don't really know why you'd want to do that but i don't know why people want to use wsl but who knows so Noah, i thought about you for this because a lot of times mm -hmm. you said hey i go into an environment and i i don't i can't tell them you've got if you want me to work on this you've got to switch to linux but right. obviously you know how to get a lot of stuff done better in linux than you do windows is this something as a you know somebody who does that for a living that you could go into a client and install something like this to help you get them set up kind of behind the scenes with Linux without having to reimage all their machines? No, frankly, I, I mean I've, I trying to scale this back as as best I can and be as level headed as I can. I, I will avoid this like the plague, to be honest with you. Um, one of the one of the things that has frustrated me since day one of open source and Linux is that we come out with amazing really fantastic, awesome tooling, architecture, infrastructure. And the proprietary world turns us on our back, rips off the best parts of it, 
and 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 then leaves the and then leaves us the the rest of the scraps and it's very difficult to get ahead in that in that world right every time the proprietary guys can sit there and and build and iterate and build and iterate and build and iterate on a, on a video editor or on an audio editor or on a, an office suite or whatever it is and then we're always trying to play catch up okay they have this feature they're going this direction now we have to go that direction they have ribbons now we have to have ribbons and every time we pull ahead in any significant way, it seems like there is always somebody there that goes, oh, that's a really great idea. Let's make that work on Windows so we don't have to change to Linux. And so when I come across projects like this, I think it's really cool. I'm glad that tool exists because it fundamentally means that you can use Linux in an environment where it may not have been permitted previously. And I get that. I really like the idea, though, of telling people, hey, here you can go ahead and buy VMware. Or you can go ahead and use CentOS and we can set up a, a, a libvirt instance and you'll be able to do all the things that you were doing on VMware, except it won't cost nearly as much. It'll be more reliable and it has greater growth potential. Uh, there's only one catch. You're going to have to use Linux. And what you find in every single time I've ever had that conversation is 100% of the time those clients go, oh, we have to use that piece of software. Okay, sure. I mean, whatever. If that gets the job done. They don't care. Uh, and so this seems like a way to hold that process back, to let people remain on a platform that they're comfortable with, even though they acknowledge that there are problems, because now Linux has one less advantage, right? You can still have that modularity, wow. still take, and I, I, that's kind of a negative take on a really cool project. So I hate to be that guy, but you know, if, if the three of us are going to talk about it, then I'll take the other side of that. That's where my concern comes in. No, I think that's a very fair concern. I mean, it, it was kind of, the same concern I think that I issued back with WSL first came out. I yes. asked the question whether, you know, is this going to limit some of the advantages that Linux has for it? Um, but it seems like the community is really down for this overall. Like you don't hear people saying what you're talking about. No, at all. Like right. you, you maybe in a forum or stuff, but nobody publicly is really saying, hey, this is this could be a bad thing. Well, and I mean, so to a certain degree, it's 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 me looking for a reason to complain. Right. And I'll admit that up front, because if I'm a Linux user and I want to remain a Linux user, well, guess what? I can still spinning up v, Ubuntu VMs on Linux has never been a problem. So sure. we're still there. And now if you're a Windows user and you'd like to remain a Windows user, but you'd like to use some Linux, now you're able to do that because of this new this new tool and it exists. So it, again, it's kind of me looking for a reason to complain. But if I, the only time I've ever considered not licensing something open source was if we ever got a product out there that I really believed would that people would dump their operating system for just to run that specific tool, I'd be tempted to license it proprietary if only so that it could not be ported to Windows. And if we came up with a GNU that had everything that the GNU has except the ability to port to Windows, we could do something like that. <laughs> Anybody um, but, but and Windows. That, and that's just me being a stick in the mud and, and, a, and a dog in the manger, whatever you want to call it. But uh, that's kind of where we're at. And so that's, that's kind of a different look. And a, on a brighter look, on, I'm sorry, do you have something to add? Yeah, I was just going to say that, that there's, there's, a, there's a possible devil's advocate approach of saying that okay. this is a good tool because it allows people to use a genuine experience of Linux in a much uh, more reasonable way. Because if you look at the WSL, it's not really Linux. There's no kernel. So you're you're kind of getting some of the tools, but you're not getting all of the tools and all the benefits of Linux. So when okay. they, they could be using a full VM inside of VMware or something like that, but this way that allows them to uh, kind of get started much quicker and more like a, uh, based on Hyper-V that they might already be experienced with. And mm. then, then they would be able to 
experience Linux in a more convenient way. And it may be as a gradual approach to convince them to use Linux. We was like, oh, wow, all of these tools are really built into this thing. And I don't have to worry about trying to get piecemealed and that kind I of would thing. Like to, I would like to see some statistics. I would like to see statistics on how many people after – being able to comfortably use Linux inside of a Windows environment, however you get there, be it remote control, be it on, you know, web-based instances, be it on terminal, terminal emulators. I would like to know how many of those people, once they get comfortable uh, in a Windows environment using Linux, how many of those people actually go to Linux full-time versus how many people have an, a miserable experience on using Linux from a Windows environment but must use Linux for their job or because it, there's a given tool mm. or something like that, how many of those people switch to Linux full time? I don't too. know the, I don't know the answer to that. I have a suspicion though, so that would be interesting to see if anybody ever has I any statistics on that or has any numbers on that or even I'd even take anecdotal evidence. Hey, this is where I work and this is what we found. I'd be interested to hear that at comments at destinationlinux.org. Yeah, and also you could say that in, in a way it could be a good marketing thing if the code name for the 1.0 release, because we're currently at 0.5, if the 1.0 release is uh, Lilu Dallas Multipass, that'd be really good for you know potential mm -hmm. marketing people who like Fifth Element. So there's an option for them. <laughs> it's a suggestion. Um, I mean, it's not a requirement. You should do it. <laughs> yeah. In brighter and more positive news, Inkscape... I don't know how they come up with these version numbers, but 092.4 has been released. Now, Inkscape is a, pro a professional quality vector tool that even Michael can't complain about. It has, <laughs> it has amazing. Oh, well, I mean, honestly. So we've talked about different graphical tools. You're right. Like, I'm not going to complain about it. It's fantastic. Yeah, Inkscape is just. It is legitimately one of the best, most professional tools out there. Um, so there are a bunch of major enhancements that they have. I want to take a moment and just say that this week. I was working uh, at, at my other job, working at a radio station, and I was working with some of the promotions people, and they were doing things in Adobe Illustrator, and they were doing things in, in, in all sorts of different proprietary software. And every single one of those files, even if they were in the, the default EPS format, whatever the default the, the format was that they save in, I brought every one of those files into Inkscape, and it opened perfectly. Everything nice. rendered exactly the right way. No, not, none of the elements were misaligned, which sometimes happened when you open a Microsoft Word document inside of OpenOffice mm -hmm. where something doesn't quite line up. Everything was absolutely perfect. The only exception was there were a couple of fonts that were used that were not available in um, Inkscape. So I just had to install the fonts and then they were fine. Uh, it, absolutely a professional tool. And so as we were using it, what we found was Inkscape actually does a better job of importing older version SVGs than Adobe Illustrator does. And so as we were kind of digging through that, um, and I noticed one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the changes that they have made is that they are actually working on making sure that it's compatible with a bunch of other file extensions or other file formats that other software uses, it, you know, in, in addition to, you know, the measuring tools and the, when the grids are visible and dragging paths with the line effects and uh, fixing some of the slowdowns and the ability to read and write the pipes so they don't have to have those temporary files. All of that stuff uh, has been rolled into this latest release, but an absolutely phenomenal piece of software. And again, one of those, a perfect example of what we were just talking about, of a piece of software that if it only existed on Linux, I, I absolutely believe there would be a group of people that would say, 
that tool is so much better for exactly what it is that I am doing that I would use that operating system just to use that tool. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, depending how you look at it, Inkscape is available for Linux, Mac OS, and Windows. So it can be the, the vector graphic tool of your choice, no matter what operating system uh, you're, you're booting. Yep. Michael, what are your, I'm interested in, in your thoughts on this because a couple of times you've said, listen, I would love to use GIMP. Nothing would make me happier if I could use GIMP. I can't because there are fundamental design specifications that don't exist in GIMP that exist in proprietary alternatives. And I don't not work with art in the way that you've worked with art, but I have worked with more than my fair share of vector graphics to know that Inkscape absolutely competes with their proprietary alternatives. What are your thoughts? Uh, I would agree. I think that Inkscape is one of the best. It's as far as SVGs, it's um, it's fantastic. It supports almost all SVGs, uh, the, you know, all SVG functionality with the vector aspects and the non-destructive, which is the most important part of design. So, like, uh, if you were comparing Adobe Illustrator and Inkscape, once you got used to using Inkscape, you could do the same amount of tool, the same amount of features and effects in a similar similar amount of time. So like you'd have to learn how it's built, uh you know, it's a completely different workflow, so you would have to learn how it how it's how it works before you could get to that level. But in GIMP and Photoshop, the workflows are so different because one's destructive and one's non-destructive that you it doesn't matter if you are, are a, an expert at GIMP, you're still going to take longer to do certain things than Photoshop can do in seconds, whereas in Inkscape, once you get the amount of time that to learn the workflow, you can accomplish the same types of tools and the same effects and the same drawings in a very similar time. So as far as like, is one, one of the professional to what have you ever used Corel draw? Yes. I, uh, in a long time ago, but I have, it was, it was when before, I think it was before Corel bought uh, Jask. Uh, so would you say that, would you, would you say that Inkscape uh, competes on that level as well? Or would you put Corel draw below, Inkscape and um, Illustrator. Um, I would say they're 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 very similar. They 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 accomplish different things, and in some cases, but I think that um, overall, I think Inkscape would still be on that level. I I I don't know if I would say that it is um, as easy to use to get started, even if you are a designer, because it it has it has its own different style of workflow. But that workflow is robust enough that once you do get used to it, it will provide you whatever you need to do. So I think Inkscape is one of the best examples of open source software can be professional level software. 100%. 100%. And I also think that the, the one of the things that, that I want to talk about before we move on to different, the next topic is that Inkscape is coming out with their 1.0 soon. Um, not exactly sure when. They didn't really give an announcement. Um, but they've they've never released a 1.0 because they wanted to keep that to the point where they're like it's massively production ready. It is ready to go. You could deploy this into a, a design firm or whatever. And they are now saying that it's at that point. And they announced some of the features that they're going to be bringing. And one of those things I am incredibly excited for, and that is a rotatable canvas. Uh, so that the the biggest issue of Using Inkscape, if you're used to doing uh, drawing like Wacom tablets and and you know that kind of thing, you're um, you're you know you're, if you're doing it like physically on the on like a touchpad with Wacom, you're you want to turn the, the the tablet and turn the canvas, and that could limit what you can do. 
So prefer, that's the only thing that I can say that is avail is not available right now in Inkscape that would be like much much more be, uh, you know beneficial to have, and they're going to be adding it in the next version with 1.0, and I am incredibly excited for that because that's going to change that's going to be a game changer to the point where not only is it can be done it would be at, at probably at parity with the other tools. Mm. Yep. Very cool. So uh, next up we have an announcement from the Purism team. And that is, they are releasing the PureOS store, and PureOS is a store that they're going to talk. They're wanting to do with applications for both the smartphone and the desktop. Uh, we have recently been uh, can have confirmed that the PureOS store will be focused on, uh, not exclusively, but mostly focused on uh, flat packs, which makes sense because they're heavily into the, the GNOME ecosystem. So. This is what's really cool. I think is that they're they're focusing on trying to create the PureOS store. You know, you know when the Librem Five launches, they're going to have it ready to go. So I'm looking forward to see if they can do that. Although it kind of makes me wonder, do they have like do they have too much on their plate to launch a new phone, to build a new uh, OS interface for the phone, to have a, a new app store? Um, you know, I, I don't. I hopefully they can do it great. You know, because I think the laptops are fantastic for you know like the 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 hardware that they provide and the, the 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 ideas of the you know hardware switches, um, but what do you what do you guys think? I mean, I think it's brilliant. I, I love that they're out there. I did. You do have a good point. You, uh, hopefully, they're not you know overstretching their team here, but I think they're probably in a good place with the hardware that they have because that's been settled for quite a while. Um, likely just ramping up at this point, manufacturing and those type of things. So obviously, moving on to the software. And nailing that down is an important part of this. And I think having an app store that people can trust is going to be a really important part of this whole uh, idea of having convergence between. And by the way, this OS store will work for their laptops and for their phones. So you're going to have that convergence of a store that you can go to, pull down some applications. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like a, maybe like a Chrome OS type feel where you can still get the apps on your phone that you can get on your laptop similar thing here except actually privacy centric and they're actually going to go through these apps and give them badges and things to talk about the privacy um you know clearly display quickly the status of the privacy and what the in what permissions and things that these apps are going to ask for as you're installing them so you know somebody who's concerned with software freedom privacy security and having an ethical design out there for these applications you're going to have a store you can go to and download these applications without having to worry uh, as much about what those applications could be doing or storing or taking from you and that type of stuff. So I think it's a natural move they have to make. And I'm very excited and I really, really have high hopes for the fact that they can pull this all off and create, because we know they create great laptops, but create a great phone and have this convergence between the two that would make even people who aren't as uh, privacy focused still interesting enough to go, hey, I'm not as privacy focused. I still like to use Google and Gmail and all this stuff, but that stuff over there is so cool. I want it anyways. And that's what really Linux needs to bring in, right? Because yeah. to, to really be successful, because you can always sell this stuff to the hardcore geeks like us, but it's much more difficult to sell it outside of that. But I think as more breaches and things happen, more people are having to pay money, you know, $40 a month to have credit monitoring services and all this stuff. From the Maybe people who wake get up. rid of their stuff. Yeah, for the people who lost their stuff, pay them 40 bucks and they'll protect your stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. this stuff's probably going to start, you know, becoming more and more prevalent. And if they have something over there that's like a, you know, glowing light to attract them over to say, hey, not only is this, uh, you know, cool and secure, but 
are secure and private, but it's also cool looking and adds a lot of functionality, then I think they would have something here. Yeah. I think the only issue is that they like the, the only thing I'm really worried about is I I did say that I'm kind of worried about the fact that they're putting kind of might, might be having too much on their plate, but they're also kind of implying that you're going to be able to get applications regardless of the platform or the or the form the uh, form factor. And if you look at their blog post, they show on the desktop they show a, a, a like a screenshot of Darktable, but that's mm-hmm. guaranteed not going to work on a phone. Like Darktable is there's too much tools, there's too many things in it that, I, that it's functionally it's too robust to be a phone interface. So uh, there's applications like that. I don't really, I don't really see how they're going to make those work. And uh, but I, I think that there's a lot that have that makes sense to be transitioned back and forth. Uh, but Darktable and stuff like that, I don't think is going to make any sense to be you know a phone version. So I just thought it was kind of weird that they would present Darktable as one of those. Are digital. you saying you couldn't put it on the phone because of the memory and no, processor of, requirements, or of, because of the format? The format of how how much how much right. That's what I thought. Yeah, like it's just because it's it's too. I mean, you could have a pretty powerful phone and it could run the application, but you'd have such a small interface to see it that you everything would be so tiny that you would be able to touch anything. It'd but be, see, this is where Dex type interface I mean, yeah. and interfacing and things would come into play, right? You could yeah, plug in. They, they now have these projectors. I think I saw one the other day, like Walmart for twenty five bucks. You plug in your phone and it projects it onto a wall as a screen. Little things like that I yeah. see coming out in this convergence thing that can make that a lot more appealing. That would be Imagine an interesting. My point disappointment, if you had that. by the way, when I was given the Samsung S eight Plus from work, and I'm like, "Ooh, I could do Dex on this," but the Dex that works on the S eight is only Android Dex, not ah. the Linux Dex. You have to have the S nine for that. What a disappointment! That is that is a shame. Yeah. But yeah, I, I see your point there. Some of these applications, obviously, you're not going to be doing full out on there, but there's a lot of alternatives um, uh, for I mean, desktop. I, like, I love the idea of having that phone being like a like if they were to do the full convergence concept and use like the Dex mode of like you know connecting it to a monitor, and you could just use that one device to be the like what provides all the power. That would be awesome. I mean, I'd, I'd be okay with that. So yeah. Well, another privacy tool out there uh, for people to know about is called Tutanota. Michael, um, do you have any idea? Tutanota, T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A, but it is just, there you go. It has just gotten a desktop application within Linux natively, and this is really cool because I use ProtonMail. And by the way, because I realized I live so close to Bo Weaver, I sent him an email and I was like, we need to do lunch. He was like, Yes, we do. And we set up a time and he said, by the way, I'm really proud to see you use Proton Mails. That made me feel good. I was like, hey, I learned something in all these years. But there's another alternative if you're not into Proton Mail, and that's the Tutanota here. And it's an encrypted open source email service for privacy minded people. And it now has a desktop app for Linux. It features end-to-end encrypted mailbox, end-to-end encrypted address book, automatic end-to-end encrypted email between users, basically end-to-end encrypted everything. Um Strips IP addresses from emails sent and received, password insulted, hash locally with bcrypt, secure servers located in Germany. You can sign up completely for free to start using this service. Uh, and kind of like Proton Mail, you can pay to have additional premium features like additional storage and that type of thing out there. Um, but this looks like a pretty cool uh, tool there. It is built in Electron. Um, so it's across all devices, but the good thing is it's across all devices. So Android, iOS, Linux, Windows, wherever you're at, 
you'll be able to get to your email application. So I thought this was pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty cool. I mean, I've heard of this service before, but I never give it a shot because I already used Proton, so I didn't, I didn't need to. But uh, Tutanota looks interesting. I also have no idea if I'm saying it right. So I'm just, you say that your way, I'm saying my way. Hopefully one of us will be right. <laughs> there you um, go. But I think this is really cool that there that there's another service that are doing this. But I do want to point out to um, you know the people, who are, the users who are watching, that if you want to try it out, they they do have encrypted encrypted uh, emails and everything like that. But once you send an email to a non-encrypted email service, it's not you're not going to get that same protection. So That's if you do, true. If you do right. send it to right. a Gmail account, you're not going to get the same thing. So don't don't just assume everything you send is going to be encrypted. Uh, right. But if you send it to ProtonMail or something, they probably would support it. Yeah. Mm, Depending, I'm not sure about that. It depends because, on their, their compatibility layer that they use. Like, whatever the technology uses, they'll uh, probably have the same. Like, if it's GPG so both, what, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess we'd have to – I guess I'd have to see the, the back end and how that works. But, like, so on ProtonMail, for example, all of that stuff is transparent, but it's because it's happening between those two those two clients. And the server understands that – it's being encrypted with this key. And so when it delivers to this user, then decrypted and all that, mm-hmm. and that's all being handled for you. I don't know that that's necessarily going to talk to you to Canada. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give the North Dakota, uh, you know, pronunciation, but it, regardless of if that works or not, here's the point. The point is that we have more competition in this field and I would really, really like it if we got to a day where encryption was there by default. And I just, I just went through this with a clinic where they were upset that they're not able to send HIPAA data over their email system because it's not encrypted. <laughs> and I said, well, and, you know, to them, to them, it's, well, why don't we get the secure email? Sign up for ProtonMail, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, which was my answer, actually. But users want it to be simple, and encryption doesn't have to be difficult. And the more players that we have in this field, I think we're going to approach a time where it's secure by default, very much like where we've gotten to, with HTTPS, right? The vast majority of sites out there are HTTPS today. And I think that we're going to get there with email too, or email is going to go away and it's going to get replaced with something else that is encrypted by default. I would like to see that. There you go. Going back to graphic design, because I still haven't gotten done with that kick yet. If Inkscape isn't for you, maybe a project called Akira Design Tool is for you. Now, Akira is coming to Linux. It's an interesting design project that was uh, funded by a Kickstarter and caught our attention. No, it's still being funded. Still being funded. Yeah. Oh, they're looking for funded. Yeah, so they, it's a so live maybe, Kickstarter right now. So maybe it's coming to Linux. Yeah, but they, they said that they're going to do it. This is to make it do it quickly. They have a goal to, to do it regardless. This will make it allow them to do it much faster. So it's a ransom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's an interesting we way want, of putting it. <laughs> we, 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 we want to support the project. We invite you to support the project because the more graphic tools we have on Linux, the better. Now, yeah. uh, if you love tools like Gink and Inkscape, and uh, you can't make the switch from Adobe products because they're missing features that you need. Uh, they're aiming for developers of interfaces and plans that uh, are going to be available natively on Linux. And the main purpose of Akira is to offer a fast and intuitive tool for creating web and mobile interfaces. Uh, kind of like Sketch, uh, Figma, or Adobe XD. And I want to be very clear, open and honest with you that I have not ever designed a web or mobile interface and I likely never will and nor have i used any of these proprietary tools but i would be interested in checking out ikea if it comes to linux because hey it runs on linux um so there is a whole bunch of people uh working on this project and uh essentially what they're what they're saying is that they have raised eight thousand dollars 
but they need $48,000. And uh, when I first saw that number, I was like, man, that's, that's asking for a lot. But then it kind of dawned on me. The reality is actual professional tools cost tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands, if not, uh, you know, millions of dollars sometimes to develop. So $48,000 to get an actual uh, solid tool uh, on Linux is probably not that is probably not that bad. And and Michael, I'll let you kind of go over uh, some of the advantages since, like I say, I don't uh, I don't design mobile or web interfaces. All right, that's fair. So the, the what's what's really cool about what they're talking about. Uh, first off, we're talking about the the funding. Yeah, that's forty eight thousand. Does sound like a big amount, but. The what they were trying to do is be able to get a couple months for multiple developers to have to work full time on this project, and that would you know they'd have to have you know their rent paid and stuff. But what's what's really good about their 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 Kickstarter, they specifically say this is how much they would would need to use to pay for rent and to pay to, for food, and they break it down as like we're not asking for anything that would that we it's unnecessary. This is what we would absolutely need, and. And over the how many people that would be required required to do this in a reasonable time, so I really like that. That's you know good a lot of respect for people to to go through that process to actually like break it down to that point that level. Uh, but the the features that they're talking about is really cool because they natively written in Vala, which is great because you can then compile it to C, so it'd be really uh, good performance. Uh, they're going to be it's, um, it's kind of think of it as like Inkscape, but more specific to prototyping and wireframing. So uh, it'll still have SVG, like a vector-based SVG canvas. So like that's awesome. Uh, but what's Very cool. am- like what the idea is amazing. And I'm and okay, so designers, you know how like developers have the benefit of Git and you have the version control system. Designers don't have that. There's not really a version control in design. We have the most common thing to do, and I've done it a thousand times, and it's the most annoying thing, is like send a message, send a, a product or a design to a client, and they go, "Okay, great, let's tweak this." And you're like, "Okay, version whatever." Then no, they tweak this. No, you're, you're, no, hold on. So you're missing this. I've, so I, I've, I've been here. I've seen this happen. I'm not a designer, but I've seen this happen, right? So that you have to give the file name. So the file name that you sent them first was uh, was uh, Design Seven finalized, right? Yes. Now you make a revision. Now it's design final, 7 final, 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 r- real final. <laughs> that happens a lot. Like, <laughs> like there's multiple times where I was like, okay, is this is this is even more final than the previous final. And it's like whatever, and the, the 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 it's just ridiculous of trying to keep track of like, especially when you're you at at, at one point I had uh, seventeen revisions for a client, and there was at least eight finals that I put in. It was just because I was just annoyed by it, uh, but then I started like doing my own system, but like this was years ago. But now you can you can like you could probably create your own structure based on the date or something, but. The reason I brought it up is because Akira is going to have their own custom SVG um, format, but it'll still be completely SVG related. So you could open it inside of, you know, Inkscape, for example, and it should work because it's SVG based. But Akira's format is going to have a version control system built into it. And and like if you had uh, previously, there's some uh, there's some designing tools that have their own uh, version control system, sort of. But really, it's more like a, a contained system where everything that you do is like duplicated. So the next version is essentially like you, if you have three versions, you basically have three copies of the same thing built into the same file. So it's just it gets ridiculous. 
So and, and instead of using the, the the really annoying way of having like these massive duplicate content in these in these ridiculously huge files, they are doing a transactional style so that it'll keep the main content of the SVG like as far as the finished version, and then you have everything you change after the fact will be done in a transactional difference. So because it, it's basically just math using SVGs, you can say you know activate this version of the file. So that's one of the things that I'm ex really excited about. If they do make this, hopefully, you know, they get funded. If they do make it, that would be, you know, pretty much game-changing for uh, prototyping on Linux because there's not really anything like that other than doing, like, if you can wireframe and do sketches and prototyping in Inkscape, but it takes a little bit more time to do so. So if you were to have something that was specifically for that purpose, it could be a ridiculously good benefit to the platform because it would provide a a specific uh, tool for a lot of designers that they don't have access to with, if they switch Linux. Uh, I think that's a really the, important point though, that I yeah. want to highlight is that in windows you have an, on Mac OS, you have the sketch Figma and Adobe XD. This yes. isn't like taking a project that already exists in Linux and just creating a new one for the sake of making a new right. one. There are projects out there that, that people are utilizing like Inkscape to try to create these interfaces, but that's not what Inkscape was really designed for. This tool is basically creating a tool just for creating interfaces for web and program designs. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that the the best example for uh, the, the sketch is probably the most commonly known for people who are in the design world. Uh, sketch is essentially going to be the exact, this is going to be like a open source alternative to sketch and having that specific like that type of tool is so much better to have like i don't i've i've used these tools before and i don't have one right now i've just i basically just deal with not having one and do prototyping in a different way so i mean i'm i'm a, i'm i'm excited so what do you think though what's everyone's opinion noah on how they're going about funding this project they're you know an open source it's usually one person goes out there, tries to create it on their own. Maybe a couple people get together. If they create something good, then the community forms around it and starts helping. This is a little unusual to have a GoFundMe before the project's really out there to get funding to get additional developers and things in there. Is this a good thing? I, I think it is. I agree with you that it's a little weird. I would argue that it's a good thing because I think they're one, they're, they're competing with a quality product. And if you're going to, people are okay paying absurd amounts of money for things. When you deliver a quality product, people get upset when they donate $15 and they're delivered a crappy product, right? They get really upset if they donate a thousand dollars and get delivered a crappy product. I've never heard anybody who was delivered a really fantastic product though, who was upset because it cost too much. I, you know, you just don't hear that a lot. So I think, if they have a needed tool set, I think they're targeting a specific audience, professional graphic people on Linux. I think they're going to get there, and I think it is the right way to go about it. Nice. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I, and it's also nicer because if they were to get funding, like you know the the normal way of like a VC thing, like that would, you know, that would backfire almost immediately because this it's a good example of an open source project that did get VC funding that decide, that found out the hard way that it was a bad idea was uh, own cloud next cloud. So uh, when they created OwnCloud, it was an open source thing. But then the VC people stepped in and started like dictating everything that was being done that like limited whatever they all they could do. So they branched out to make NextCloud and NextCloud is way better now than OwnCloud ever was. So uh, so it's, it's an example that because if you were going to go that route, it could backfire pretty easily. 
Whereas if they're doing a Kickstarter, you know, they don't have to worry about stockholders and shareholders to, you know, appease. The only people they have to actually appease and provide a good product to is the people who gave the funding. So I think it's a great option and I hope it works. Firefox has decided to end their test pilot program. And I'm 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 just going to talk about what like what they're doing, what the test pilot is, and I'm gonna, we're going to push it off uh, my opinion of this until last because I'm probably the person who's used it the most. Um, but uh, on February 22nd, the Firefox test pilot will be ended, and they announced it uh, a week ago or something like that. And so essentially, what the test pilot was is that it was a program that allowed you get to get access to experimental add-ons that would be either integrated into Firefox or as a separate add-on after the fact, after it was graduated to a to a new version. And they the, the reason why they gave it for the test pilot was um, they were hiring more programmers and developers, so they don't feel that they need to do the program anymore because they have a different they have a different infrastructure they can apply to create more innovation and more tools. So what do you guys think about this? I was a little, you know, I don't, I didn't use the test pilot very often. There were a couple applications on here that I utilized when I would see them in the news and, and play around with. So I'm probably not the best person to give my opinion on it. But what I feel is that this did bring a lot of people into feeling a part of the development of Firefox and brought them closer to the community in a way, brought Firefox and Mozilla closer into the community to have people there kind of contributing to, hey, I like this feature. Hey, remove this feature. Hey, this is broken. You know, a lot of about being in the open source community is contributing something. And this was something that people could kind of get involved with and contribute with. So in a way, I feel like Mozilla may be underestimating the value of, even though they may not be getting as much value in the feedback on some of these tools that they were looking at, that they're going to miss some of the relationships that were forged because of having things out there that people could play with. Now, supposedly they're supposed to be doing something new that's kind of similar or some type of focus on being services that stand apart from, this is their exact words, uh, stand apart from Firefox even further. I don't know what that means. So they're getting rid of this program and they're going to focus on non-Firefox related services. They're talking about they're going to innovate some things separate from like for this example, there there were some test pilot programs that really had no business being in test pilot. Like there was an example for iOS. There was a specific thing that they were a project they were working on that was only for iOS. And the test pilot users just mocked it because it's like, this is not Firefox. We don't care. Um, and it was called uh, Firefox Lockbox or something. Uh, it was a password manager, but it was only iOS. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a thing that happened. Then there's also Firefox Send, which is a great service, but it has nothing to do with Firefox. It is just a service website that you can go to and upload a file, send an email with that link. People can download that file. And the best way of parting is, is it'll it has like this massive, I think it's like 10 gigs that you can upload to their servers to send to what, send to someone. So, like, if you were trying to do a big file, like a video to someone or a big project file, email is impossible to do. So, you had to put it on a server somewhere. Firefox Send was providing a place to do so. But what's really cool about Firefox Send was their system of once you download that file, it is deleted off their servers. So, it's a one-to-one transaction. Uh, And or if they were to forget and a day later, a day goes by, the server would automatically delete that file. 
So it meant that that you could make sure that they, if they, whether uh, how soon they could get it, because you could tell them you have to download this within a day, or it's going to or go like away. the Mozilla IoT, so not directly related to Firefox, right. but it, you know things you may be able to use in a browser indirectly related. Yeah. But why would you stop investing in services that are part of Firefox to do well, that? Because they've been doing that all along. Well, they were. I mean, I don't know why they're stopping the program entirely. There's are some people talking about how it's the, the the feedback that they got from the community is great, but it was too much for them to handle. So some of their developers, once the once a particular pro, uh, add-on or service was graduated from the test pilot program, those people, those employees who were working on it in their spare time, now became full time for that thing. And I, I don't know if that's true. That's just the rumor that's going around hmm. uh, for the people who were really into the test pilot program and. I don't like that this is going away because it's not necessarily that they're doing – they're still doing innovations. They're still going to do experiments. But I want access to those experiments. I want to play with that stuff. I mean I, I've been – To be a part of the community. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to miss that because I've been a user of the test pilot since the day it started. And um, well, the funny thing is is that the test pilot program like, – they said that it was started three years ago. But there was also another version of the test pilot program that was like 10 years ago. I don't think it was called test pilot. It was something like, something else, but it was basically the same thing. And every time they do this, I jump in immediately because I want to play with the new tools. And like one of the best things that came out of the test pilot program was the container tabs, which is amazing. Yes, and one of the best things about Firefox. And it it got so it, it was it became a massive feature for Firefox because of the test pilot community seeing how awesome the idea was and how they could improve to it and like add code to it and you know get it more popular so that their that Mozilla would want to like would see the benefit to it maybe they wouldn't see the benefit to these experiments if they're doing it in house as much as the community would be you know jump onto it as much as as, as they could because there's been a, there's a there's a few test pilot programs that I don't care about like the price the price wise this is basically like telling you how much a price is on whatever store like yeah. I don't really care about that because it's, it's I'm not gonna I don't shop as that much as sometimes Ryan has mentioned, um, so there's there's things that it don't matter but there are a lot of cool things that did come from it and uh, the container tabs is one of them Firefox Color is another one that's currently available in test test palette so if you uh, are curious that's that's I mean, you know there's a big problem with all applications that are like dark dark theme uh, inept you know like you install like you so your point is this is bad. They shouldn't be doing. No, this. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad because it's just say it. Say, tell us how you feel, Michael. It's Quit writing. To, the the test pilot program is up to them to even start all these experiments in the first place. All of this stuff that comes from the test pilot program was still Mozilla being innovative, making experiments, and creating these ideas for to do. It's just now I don't have access to see what they're doing. How do you claim to be the leader of the open web? and back away from the project that puts your users in your ear about what direction they want to see the project go. That's what I struggle with. I mean, well, I mean, since they're, they are the leaders of open web because what other person, what other company exists that makes, well, that's even, that doesn't make me feel good. So because Google Chrome, because Google Chrome has taken over essentially 85% because my internet Explorer is now going to become internet Chrome. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, now it, now that's okay for Mozilla to back off of the uh, community no, front. 
No, I don't think. I don't, me feel any better. I don't. They're not backing off the community front. They still do they everything. Are. No, they still do transparent stuff. Like if you if you wanted to see what is going on, their monthly meeting that they do is 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 in public. You can go and yes. participate in it. There's uh, they're still being tra- they're still being transparent with how they do that do the funding. Like there's still a massively transparent well, thing. This is so just removing an interaction in one interaction. I I I will. We may have to agree to disagree on this, but their meeting is open, so I can attend. But I can't voice my opinion and say I, this is what I want to do. Now I understand that would just turn into a free for all if they if yeah. they did that. So I'm not suggesting that they open their meeting up to, to allow people to give input. What I am saying is that essentially, and I, the the article I think it was OMG Ubuntu actually the one that you have linked in there. I think it was where Joey actually says, "Well, they're canceling the Mozilla Test Pilot program because it was too it was too successful. Like it worked too well." That seems pretty accurate. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me. I can't. I, I'm not trying to defend their decision. I don't want them well, to do this. Yeah, you were doing a lot of cover up there for Firefox, there, Mike. <laughs> we call it being a shill. Is it a shill? Well, but he went both ways, though. That's just it. No, I, I, I <laughs> I'm unhappy that they're doing this. Like, I understand why they're doing this, but I'm unhappy. Like, so that's, that's what I, I said. understand it. Just tell I'm them just how you feel. Unhappy Michael. about it. Yeah. Just be like, look, what you're doing is wrong. Fix it. Even if I'm unhappy about it. I just, I just w- didn't want people to think that I was hating on Mozilla in general because Mozilla because does. Because you understand it. Because I don't. No, I don't understand what they're doing it for. I just, I just don't think. So that you Mo- do understand it. What? I said I don't. Anyway. So you don't understand it. N- We're gonna move on now. Who understands <laughs> it? So moving on to something a little happier, since Michael does not want to. Come out and just say what Firefox is doing is wrong there. I did say I don't like it. Humble Bundle Caffeine. Now, I love some Humble Bundle, but every now and then they have a package out there and there's not a lot of Linux games in it. But this time, Humble Bundle Caffeine is throwing the love Linux's way. And there's a couple of fantastic games out here. And this is available for the next eight days. So even if you're not watching the live show now, you'll still have the ability to take advantage of it by the time the show releases. And a couple of those games I absolutely adore. This War of Mine, I personally recommend this game uh, that you can get in this bundle. It is one of those games that um, will bring, I don't want to say emotions up. You're not going to sit there and cry like you're cutting an onion or something. But it does put you in this kind of miserable zone of war and what it could mean. Yeah, it gives uh, you the perspective. You can actually feel like a, some, a semblance of what they feel. That's a perfect way of putting it. So you're out there in a war-torn, you're, you're in one of these cities that has just been bombed, and you're trying to get food and things for your family and trying to keep them alive. So you have a neighbor over there that has food. Are you going to go kill them because they don't want to give it to you? Or are you going to? Th- these are the type of decisions it forces you to make, which is kind of a fascinating thing to see in yourself in a video game. So that's a very cool game. The Pillars of the Earth, Goner. Tyranny is also a fantastic RPG that comes with this, and Shadow Tactics. Uh, there are some Windows-only games on there, but some of them probably will run through Proton uh, or Steam Play right now. But the price is $12 to unlock all of them. So that is just a fantastic deal, and those two games alone make it completely worth it. Absolutely. I think that, and this War of Mine is such an awesome concept that, like, there's, you know, there's so many war games. There's never been a game that's even remotely like this, and I think that's a really cool concept. That I, I, I I've played it a little bit, and it, it does gives you like, uh, you, you know, you don't, you get somewhat of an idea, and I think it's really cool. Yep. 
Noah, we're forcing you to do a review on a game this week. I see that. It's uh, so it's a simulation programming and education puzzle game called White True Learn. Have I ever played it? Absolutely not. Do I plan on playing it? Maybe. <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the right charity, for the right event, if we could like raise some money for an open source thing, I would totally dig into this. Now, this game is you're a machine specialist who makes neural networks, but your cat seems to be better at it. I must solve puzzles to build a cat-to-human translation system. Who knows what else is escapable of? Earn a fortune. Buy kick-butt-cat outfits and learn how machine learning... Just how you read that. You're like, I may play this for an event, but I could hear your voice getting more and more depressed about the idea of the game. With 353 very positive reviews. All 353 of them are positive. All 353 people who played the game. Very positive. <laughs> They're yes. very, very positive because the game looks really interesting. That's the writing. I didn't say that. In one scene, you're putting together modules to make a self-driving car and then test the car while you're out of what looks like a mini car game. <laughs> okay, so let me explain. Available for 12, you can waste $12.99 on this uh, game and play it. Or, I'm sorry, uh, cost is $12.99 is what I meant to say. By the way, there, it's up to 757 very positive reviews just in the two days between when I put this in here. So a lot of people liking this. Now, it's named While True Learn, so like a coding language, mm -hmm. While True Learn. And the idea here is it's a video game, but you're doing some, I, I don't want to, realistic-like coding in order to creating ifs and while loops and things like that to put some modules and puzzles together that end up creating actual events in the game to kick off. So a I'm seeing a lot of things like this and games like this that can help teach kids, even adults, how mm -hmm. to code or understand how loops and if functionality and things like that work, but still within the confines of a silly story in a video game. So that's why I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And a lot of people like it um, because you can learn something while you're still you know, feel like you're having fun. You're not sitting there with a book and, you know, taking notes and doing some of that stuff. I mean, to be fair to Noah, the description that's on their, the Steam page is, is uh, not very, uh, you know, it doesn't really convince you. If you just read that directly, it seems ridiculous. But the, the, but the, the video of it does, it, it does make it seem like, you know, it's a, a fun way to learn, a theoretically fun way to learn. I haven't tried it, to, to learn how to code. So that's always great because if, if you can get people so, to start as kids to start learning code easier through a game, that's a great idea. Yeah. It's a step up from watching paint dry is what you're saying. <laughs> I, I I'm like, not making it a, a judgment call either way. I just want okay. to clip the section where Noah stops because he realized what he's about to read is by kick butt cat outfits. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I mean, hey, wrong. you know what? I've I, I've I've learned at my job at the radio station just to uh, to do the live reads the way they write them. So if that's how you want to sell your product, more power to you, man. Kick butt cat outfits. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally into it. Do it. <clears throat> or don't say that. Um, you could also instead of doing that or in addition to doing that, you could create your own personal music streaming service with MStream. And MStream is a free open source cross-platform personal music ser streaming server that lets you sync and stream music between all your devices. It consists of a music streaming server written in Node.js. You can use it to stream to your home computer or any device, uh, even like a, like a mobile device as well. 
Um, what's really cool about it is that it has a cross-platform for both the client and server. So if you wanted to do the server, you could put it on Linux, Windows and OS 10 if you want to. And uh, or specifically, they have like a Raspbian build. And it has a, like a, it says it has it's light on memory and usage, but it's based on Node.js. So I don't know how light that really is. Um, but the functionality of uh, they said that they tested it with multi multiple terabytes of music and it worked good. So that that itself is impressive because I don't have that much music storage, but some people do, and that is you know that's something that a lot of people who have that situation will f- try to find uh, an, a music player that always like almost ninety percent of the time I've talked to people who have that level of, of of collection where it just collapses on that load. So it's nice to see that they can do that. Um, so Ryan, what do you think about this thing? I thought it was pretty cool. I actually set it up and downloaded it just to see and put some music on there. But then I realized, well, I, all my music's on a pay subscription music service anyway, so I don't really have anything to play or need it for. But it was a fun project to play with. And I know a lot yeah. of people still store all of their music or keep them um, you know, on their, uh, in, a, in a big drive or a server somewhere. To all store of mine's them. local, actually. I just don't have that much. I don't have terabytes, but I, do, I prefer local music. I just I just hopped a terabyte. Wow, of, of local music. music. Mm-hmm. So is this something, do you use a service like this or something similar for your music nope. to stream it? So it's a pretty cool option nope. out there for that. I, uh, I Not to take away from the, the spotlight, because it's, it's a great option. I, uh, currently what I'm using is I'm, I'm still stuck on, um, gosh, now the name escapes me, but it's the Raspberry Pi um, Volumio. Yeah, it's a project uh, that you throw on a, on a Raspberry Pi. That's currently what I'm using to stream music around the house, and so far it is perfect. So, I, but I, I the thing that that um, appeals to me about this is you can have multiple destinations streaming different things. Whereas with Volumio, it's kind of a all or nothing thing. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that is a pretty cool uh, extra feature. And I also like the fact that they that this. I don't know exactly what this means, but based on the description, they just call it Auto DJ. And it says it queues up random songs, so it just makes me go, "Isn't well, that just shuffle mode?" Yes, but it does crossfades in between, so it will detect where the song ends, trim the rest of the silence off, t- trim the silence off of the leading song, and then crossfade them. Okay, that sounds awesome. I like that. Yep, yeah, I looked into it a little bit. Yep. So that's a cool project for everyone to check out. And for a tip and trick of the week, how about browsing through the terminal? Who doesn't want to browse through the terminal? Everyone loves the terminal. I love the terminal. I'm forcing myself to love the terminal and use it for everything lately to kind of hone in on those skills that I'm trying to develop here. And so sometimes you get that itch. You just want to go and open a browser anyways. This can kill that really quick because all you're going to see is text in most of these options, except one Michael added here, which is Browse, which seems like it can actually render HTML5, CSS3, JS video, and even WebGL. Right. That, that, one's, that one's a little bit of a ridiculous, awesome... Uh, option, but let's let's just talk about the main ones that are your, most people know about first. So the ones that I was playing with this week are Lynx and W3M. Now my favorite was Lynx. I just think that it was the easiest for me to use. Both of them are fine. Uh, you basically type in once you install them, you do Lynx or W3M plus the URL you want to go to, and it basically renders them with just the text there. And you can tab around and click a URL and go to it. It's actually pretty useful for getting if you're doing any type of troubleshooting that type of thing 
And again, you want to force yourself to stay into the terminal. You can open up web pages that like wikis and things that may have that information on there, cut and paste directly for them right into another terminal window. Some of the commands are things that you're wanting to utilize. They're usable. It's not as fun as opening Firefox. Okay. There's no exaggeration there, but it's kind of a cool thing to do. And I was wondering maybe if some system administrators who have don't have the option of having a GUI installed in their system would be utilizing something like this when they need to hunt for an answer. There are people who a lot of people who do use links for that kind of thing. Um, I, I've not used W3M myself, but there's this. It's I, I assume it's the same kind of thing where yeah. you 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 use the. It basically just takes all the text of a website and just displays the text with no images, no nothing else. Um, so that's beneficial as far as, especially for like, you know, troubleshooting assistant men. So you can, as you can SSH into a server and then still go use those tools to get to the web and get stuff on the server if you need to. So there's that mm-hmm. potential. Um, so I do think that there is benefit to these. Um, I personally prefer Firefox, but that's actually kind of why I suggested Browse be on this topic because Browse is a fully modern text-based browser that uses Firefox engine to power the text-based browser. So it's like, uh, I don't know if it's, I think it is Quantum, but it's definitely the Gecko engine. I think it's the version of Quantum that, that it, you can use inside of Browse. But it allows you to use HTML, render HTML5, render CSS, render JavaScript. You can do even WebGL and video. Now, it's still a terminal, so everything is still weird looking. So the video <laughs> looks like a mosaic painting. Uh, the images do the same thing. It's, it's very, it's very weird, but it works, and that's why it's awesome. Because I wonder even... how we would look watching the YouTube video in Browse. I'm curious now, and I might put that into the. You extra... might look like Can a I Minecraft. Point out that I think you guys are nuts. Like I am trying, <laughs> I am trying, trying the best I can to keep it together so that, like, you know, I don't, I don't rag on yet another project. You guys are crazy. Why would you want to browse the internet in a text? Why would you do that? There's well, you're some, used to being some... pseudo, right? You're used to always being able to go in there, and you're a super user, and you're going to install a desktop GUI and all of that. But y'all but are nuts. Think about all the space Michael would save if he uninstalled his entire desktop <laughs> environment and only used links. Free up right? the whole 700 megs. Yeah, th- like there's, okay, at least 750. Almost get an episode of Destination <laughs> Linux done. But... <laughs> Okay, as far as like the links and W3M goes and stuff like that, I I don't really understand why anybody would want to do it. But browse, you just did a heck of a job promoting it, man. It's fun. No, I'm saying I'm saying that there's I I provided some ideas of why you'd want to use it. I personally would don't think that there's something I would do. But browse like ever a reason to do that? No, browse is cool, even if it's just for the absurdity of it. The fact that mm-hmm. it's a, test, a text-based browser in the terminal that can still render everything, including JavaScript and HTML5 and all that other stuff, the fact that you could even do that is ridiculous and awesome. So whether you okay. need to do it, probably not. But See, mm-hmm. this is why you're wrong, Noah, because people in, tele- or in our Telegram group are already asking for how do you spell the name. They want this oh service. This is what the people have wanted forever. <laughs> they want that. So let me explain. I've got to explain something to you, Ryan. There's a misconception here. The reason they want to know how to spell it is because they're all going to go to their system administrators, their friends, and say, look at this idiotic thing they were talking about on this. This is hilarious. But there's absolutely no purpose for this, and yet it exists. That's hilarious. It's That's like he took the place of Zeb this week. Did you <laughs> he kind of did. He kind of did. He kind of channeled Zeb in with the pixelated well, anything sucks. But I think Browse is cool because even if it isn't that useful to a lot of people, I still think that 
the idea of it ex- its existence is fun. So either way. I can agree with that. I think it's cool that it exists, even if it has no earthly purpose. Well, one of our patrons <laughs> said, I just want to echo why you'd use this. You can use that to brouch up your terminal skills. You stop. That is a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. And you are lying as a destination Linux. You are abusing your power as a Patreon uh, subscriber. That is a lie. And you should apologize. You don't do that. <laughs> so, so okay. So, everybody, be sure to brouch up your terminal skills. This is very mm-hmm. important. <laughs> All right. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting, watching us, listening, however you do it. We love all of you. So we also wanted to add in an additional benefit for those who don't want to support Patreon. To be clear, we're going to keep Patreon around for now, but we know a lot of people were worried about what Patreon has done recently, and we wanted to provide an alternative. We told you it was coming. We have that alternative now. It is called Kofi. We are officially on Kofi. So if you want to support us and don't want to use Patreon, you can go to Kofi. You're going to get the exact same benefits, which means you can watch the show live, join us in the Telegram groups, hang out with us, all of that stuff, but you get it in Kofi now. So that's K-O-F-I. Uh, Kofi offers the same monthly options there. Uh, just uh, real, real can... quick, it's Kofi and it's TAC F-I. TAC F-I. Is it Stop really it. supposed to be coffee? I'm pretty Stop sure, it. but I th- I'm pretty sure it is coffee because uh, they when you, when you if you, you don't yeah, use yeah. the the gold version, they say, "Would you like a buy a cup well, of coffee?" Well, I get that, exactly. but it's K O F I. I just assume that they're doing it as like the uh, the Web 2.0 style of. Ty- of I drink coffee, coffee. <laughs> sure, it's that like one. That. It's it's yeah. a Boston version of coffee. Yes. Well, either way, K O dash F I, right? Yes. There you go. Tack F I. Tack. <laughs> I think we're about to lose Noah. He, he might just—he <laughs> might just throw his whole desk over and just walk out at this point. <laughs> but I tell you what—I will wait to find out if it's Kofi or Kafi on the next episode of How to Pronounce. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. There you you know? know. So uh, we, I might do that, but we make sure that you—you you know that the. The, the stuff that we're doing for the services for Patreon are also going to be available for uh, the people who use the coffee uh, service. So if you want to use that, all the perks that are available on Patreon will also go to there. It's just a way to have an alternative if you don't want to use Patreon. Yep. Let us know what you think. Is it Kofi? Is it coffee? Do you care? You can let us know by sending us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. You can join us in our interactive Telegram group. We're on Discord. We're on Google. We're on Twitter. We're on Mastodon. If you can't find us, you're not trying hard enough because there's literally not a corner of the internet that Destination Linux doesn't exist on. Of course, if you have problems and you would like one of our customer representatives to help you go over to destinationlinux.org slash contact and let them know that you're having trouble getting in contact with us somehow and we'll direct you to the right place. We'd love to read uh, what you have to share about the show. It can be a positive thing. It can be a negative thing. If you keep it short, concise, and to the point, we might even make it on the show, especially if it makes fun of Michael. Yes, especially. Not especially. Definitely not especially. It's at least a possibility. Well, yeah, it's probably a high high possibility, but... um, (laughs) if 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 you want some more content, the fun doesn't just stop here. It's kind of... That's close to what... Noah says on his show, and, and uh, we also ha- we have our own channels that you could check out. And uh, R- Ryan has got his channel at YouTube.com/dosgeek. You can check out Zeb, uh, his channel where he's uh, being a madman uh, on his streams. You can check it out at YouTube.com/zebedeeboss. 
we'll have a link in the show notes if you don't know how to spell that part. And uh, you can check out my content at tuxdigital.com where I talk about I have the, the previous episode of this week in Linux has just just been uh, released. And you can check out Noah's for Ask Noah Show, where he takes business and Linux questions. So, uh, and also be sure to smash that like button. I said it a different way this time. And also share the show on social media. And uh, we appreciate that. And also, if you want to write, write this show on your, your podcast app, that'd be great too. However you do it, we appreciate we appreciate you listening to us. We participate. We appreciate it even more if you participate. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week, and remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a good week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. So uh, Noah, um, I pulled up your website in Broche, and it's not showing up correctly. If you might want to do some enhancements to your website, <laughs> you got to fix it. Say <laughs> <laughs> so what now? You got to fix your, your website. It's not working in Browse Support Broche. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So if you could go in there and pay to have some enhancements, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll make sure to get right on that. I yeah. Uh... <laughs>